0: Well, it's been a little while. Uh, Jared's been traveling and getting to speak to everyone else, and not much around here, uh, but that's all right. Uh, we're so grateful for the gift that he has and, and the word that he has for those beyond these walls, but we're also really grateful that once in a while he's back here to be able to share with us. So uh, can we welcome Jared uh, to come and share the word this morning?
1: Morning, church. Jess, I have a, a friend here, Jess, and we knew each other in high school. Do you remember Sam Kilpatrick? Kirkpatrick? Kilpatrick? Kirkpatrick? Morning, church. Why, right, that's burned into my imagination. So, morning, church. Um, this morning we'll be in Isaiah chapter 6, but um, before we read from there, I just want to take a moment to just center in the silence, to, for us to be present to the presence that is here longing to meet with us before our hearts even turn to think of God, that God has something for this time, and for just us to centre ourselves long enough to actually be attentive to that beyond the noise of the air conditioning or what we have to do this afternoon or preparing for the work week or just the noise of our own heads and the stories that run, to actually centre enough to allow a still, small, tender, voice to be heard, calling us to our deeper selves, our deeper purpose, and what this space is about. So let's just take a, a minute in silence before we open up. This morning's reading is from Isaiah chapter 6, starting in the first verse. In the year that King Josiah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. The train of his robe filled the temple, above him were seraphim, each with six wings, two wings they covered their faces, two wings they covered their feet, and two wings they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. At the sound of their voices, their doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined. For I am a person of unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he took with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. Lord, you are holy and you're worthy of our praise. Lord, may I decrease that in this space you would increase. If there is anything in me that would get in the way of others seeing you, I ask that you would remove that from me. And place in me a transparent heart that we might see each other as you see us and see in this space you reveal as love in Christ Jesus. So Holy Spirit, do your will, do your will, Holy Spirit. May the words on my lips and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you are our rock and our refuge and all God's people said, Amen. Holy, holy, holy. Lyrics have a way of sticking with you. Um, if I was to say 1985, who remembers anything about 1995? 1995, I like, I wasn't here yet. 1995, some of you are still like, I wasn't here yet. Beth likes to pull that with me. Beth, yesterday I was in the hospital and I was at, at the doctor's rather and I was asked for ID because what they said on the computer was like 38 years old. And she was like, you don't even look 20. Now and um, that was nice, but it's not true. I was 14 in 95. If I said 1995, anybody remember movies from 1995? It's hard to recall like that. Anybody remember who was Prime Minister of Australia in 95? Keating, that's right. Um, Keating, um, uh, for one last year, Um, who was President of the US? Clinton, that's right. You were great at a quiz night, Nathan. Um, uh, In terms of the UK, who's the Prime Minister? Not yet, Blair would be 97, so 95 is John May. Um, we have a massive earthquake in Macedonia. Uh, we have um, war in Bosnia and Herzegovnia. Um, we have Windows 95 being released, a platform that would revolutionize the world. Um, uh, Netscape is still a thing. Um, Pixar releases their first ever animated movie of full film length, that film being Toy Story. We find it hard to recall like that, but lyrics are a little different. Lyrics tend to linger with us. And we've just heard lyrics, if you want, of a vision of Isaiah from actually being caught up in this... Last night we are hanging with friends and uh, their daughter brought out a quote that she had written up on their little pin-up board um, using the letters that you can interchange in and out. And it was from uh, Harry Potter. And it's from um, Dumbledore saying that, um, Harry, just because it is um, in your mind, it does not mean that it's not real. And this is a, a vision which is very real that's going to shape the whole call of Isaiah, 8th century BCE. And the lyrics of this song that he hears from these, from uh, in Hebrew, it means um, <laughs> ones on fire. It, it means flaming creatures. Whatever this weird trippy vision that there's these flaming creatures, and apparently they've got six wings. And two, cover the face. Now, angels, depending on your theology and where people take this passage, some people are like, this is about the sinfulness that Isaiah feels. But angels never sin. Well, the ones that are still angels don't sin, and yet they cover their face. So there's something else that's happening here that isn't the focus on our badness or us, but is actually about something completely other, which is a little interesting clue. But also, they cover their bodies. And also, they're flying. And in this weird image, there is this holy, holy, holy. One Hot Minute by the Chili Peppers was 95. Anybody remember One Hot Minute? I I think it's their best album. They don't play any of that stuff live because the guitarist they had at the time left because of drug issues. But um, some of us, if I was to say, My friends are so depressed, I feel a question of their loneliness. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Because lyrics come back to us easier than little dates. Now, some of us, it wasn't the Chili Peppers, it was um, Vitalogy. Anybody remember Pearl Jam's Vitalogy album? Anybody remember the biggest song off that album? you're like, no, I can't report like that. But if I was to say, waiting, watching the clock, it's 4 o'clock, it's got to stop, tell him and know where I'm going. She practises her speech. He opens the door. She rolls over. Pretends to sleep as he looks her over. Steve is, but he's not going to sing it with me. She says that she's in love with him, but she can't find a better man. She dreams in colour, she dreams in red can't find it better now. There's something about lyrics that takes us back to a certain place. Um, uh, When I come around, like these are the songs, different people were listening to different things at that time. Tara was listening to, I was listening to a lot of Beastie Boys. Um, Tara was listening to certain different types of hip-hop. Ill Communication came out that year. I don't know if there's any lyrics on that album that are appropriate for a sermon, so I'll leave that completely alone. But Tara wasn't listening to the Beastie Boys. She was listening to somebody else who came out with a song that year that I know you know word for word. As I walk. (laughs) See, here's the thing, Tara. We don't actually need you to do it because we've actually got video. But if you'd like to repeat it instead or we can go to It's, it's hard to be put on the spot. Let's, let's go to the video. Thanks, Tash. I don't know what lyrics it is for you that takes you back to certain things, but this is something in the imagination of the church throughout history that continues to return to this holy, holy, holy. And unlike Jared having like 90s flashbacks or Tara with her coolio moments, which um, finished number three on True J's Hottest 100 that year, um, this is something that calls to a larger story. And it's a story which is difficult to step into when we stay in a land of ideas which often just end up as idols. There's something about holiness which theological definitions rarely get at. And 95, the reason why I keep bringing up 95, is that that's a year that that term meant something completely different to me. And it threw open what I thought was how life worked. So I, I was, uh, what, 14 years old and um, I'd just come across and I used to rent maxi taxis. And my friends, uh, went to Hale School, they would come. And they usually came because it was crowd surfing and girls. And so um, uh, Steve, Rowan, like all, all the fellas would come, usually stoned, and they would come because there'd be girls there. And we would go to wherever there was going to be these revival meetings, sometimes like, this particular time was out in Forestfield. And um, Phil Stevenson was actually the evangelist that day. And um, my friends did the mosh pit, did the crowd surfing, got to the message, they were completely bored, most of them left. There was an altar call, none of my mates respond. And then there was an altar call for ministers. Now, I came to faith in the house church my folks were a part of, which was big on like priesthood of all believers, i.e., if you have decided to follow Jesus, you're a minister. You've got a ministry. It might just be loving those who you're in the proximity of, but that's your ministry. Go do it. So they called forward ministers to pray for. And so all these leaders from big churches go forward. And then there's 14-year-old Jared who walks the aisle and is just standing up the front. And it's the first time I've ever been in a Pentecostal church. And the church that my parents were then a part of, um, I guess we're coming out of this cessationalist. That's a fancy term. They're basically the gifts of the Spirit ceased. So all the kind of freaky stuff which some of us have seen abuses of, so we're quite happy when that's turned down. Um, uh, Others have had beautiful experiences of and feel sad when that isn't open. And this is the first time that I've been in a setting where it was just all open and it was all out. And I was freaked out. Like, I started crying because... And people might have just been saying, yabba dabba do. I want to buy a honda got a kamasaki but you know like when you're surrounded by people speaking in tongues for the first time and you never experienced that before it can freak you out like um i, I got a um mate uh, from the activist scene uh, benna and uh, his mum um, became a, a charismatic and he went to a prayer meeting and uh, we just knew each other from anti-nuke activism and he was like, I'm not sure Like, I believed in God, but I was pretty sure I believed in the devil once I heard my mum pray like that. Like, it can freak people out. And so I go forward and I hear people praying like this and I'm freaking out and I'm crying. And I'm like, God, is this of you? I don't know what to do with this. This is 95. And what happened? And I don't know how to explain it. And it's a bit like Isaiah in this passage here. How do you talk about that which you literally can't talk about? And so it's, it's a bit like when... You have a dream, and in the dream you're talking to your dog, and you're down at the beach, but somehow you're like also in the city, and there's there's waves and everything, but the sky's purple. And if you go, this was a, a literal experience. You're an idiot, but it might be an important experience. And we get to a point where only poetry can point us beyond that, where words can't actually take us. And so I in I don't know how to tell you about this experience that that I had at that age, but. As my mates who were stoned were asking me afterwards, like, "What the hell was that? What was going on?" Um, what I thought of is my my mum at the time drove a, 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 a V8, um, which had a really fancy stereo, and there were buttons, and you could press like stadium. And my mum, who would love to play Thunderstruck, as she picked me up, I kid you not. Um, uh, there's certain you press rock, and a mum would crank Akadaka, and um, you, you could hear the bass more heavy. Now, you, you could have it on opera, and it's not that the bass wasn't there, but suddenly I'm standing at the front, and you know there's the wannabaya kamikaze, uh, yabba-dabba-doo going on, and suddenly that's still happening, but somebody had pressed, like, stadium. And there's one dude in particular who's just jibber-jabbering, and suddenly he's louder than anybody else, but nothing else has changed, but it's like, that happened. And what I can not hear but feel in me is holy, holy, holy. It wasn't an idea; it, it was like a sense of like the holiness of God, and I like I was crying before because I was like scared. But now it was something else, and just like overcome with like what what I would have been able to give you a neat theological definition of as a fourteen-year-old from a Bible study that never experienced before, and suddenly it wasn't about who was present or what kind of um, wackiness of um, 90s Pentecostal charismania was going on but there was something there in that experience that opened me to that which I couldn't experience in my current world view. So literally my mates afterwards were like, what was was that? And I gave them the fancy answer from 1 Corinthians 13 that it talks about the completion of uh, it talks about um, when the perfect comes, and I was like, well, the perfect is the completion of the canon and New Testament, so those gifts aren't there, but what we have is faith, hope, and love. Stuff I've been taught, but I've just experienced something that's completely different. That's opened my world in such a way that I know there is more that I can't understand. And previously, God has been something that I have some control over. I have definitions for. I know who's in and out, and I know how it works. And then you experience something like this and you're like, I've got no idea. And that's the first time we actually get any idea at all. And so much of what happens in religious institutions is that if they form you well, they can open you for all that poetry to come alive in ways that aren't literal but is living. And the danger of fundamentalism is it takes that which is living and hides it under what people prop up as literal. And so people who... Uh, I have a mate whose mum is now a Buddhist. And when I was talking her with her in her kitchen once about um, why her interested in interest in Buddhism, um, uh, she said, well, I knew that Christianity wasn't for me. And I said, tell me about that. And she said, well, the religious school I went to, I was disciplined once. And I was asked to hold out my hand. And they took a ruler and they smacked my hand. And each time I was asked to repeat a Bible verse as they disciplined me. And I was like, that is horrible out of interest. What was the Bible verse? And she said, God is love. There is something that often happens, that religion can be one of the best places that we hide from God. And the danger with texts like this is that we could take it literally and it never become a living experience for us. Now what's fascinating for Isaiah in this text is that he has been prophesying for five chapters already. It's not that he hasn't got a sense of call. But there are sometimes experiences that that which was merely cerebral actually becomes physical, it becomes embodied. And not to get addicted to spiritual highs, that it's not merely like seeking like spiritual acid trips and seeing all this stuff, which some of our cultures can encourage, that it's like if you have these great experiences, these experiences are sometimes a, a little bit like, um, uh, a, as is, by the way, psychologists will tell you, um, those who have backgrounds in experiencing um, experiments with drugs, that um, you can see these visions and everything, and it's like sitting at the top of a mountain and seeing a great vista. And you can be aware of things that you've never seen before. But the difference between somebody who's seen those things and somebody who has got down off the mountain and walked those things out, that they've walked to the places that others have seen, there are some people who have amazing spiritual experiences and yet have no depth of spirituality because they've sat on mountaintops and wanted to see more and more things. And you meet those people, those humble, gracious people who've just spent their life serving, who've never had a vision, never had a prophetic word, but just like drip with the love of God and are found amongst those that everybody else doesn't want to be around and have served. And they have walked to where these people have seen. And the invitation in this text is actually to be people who can see those things, but also walk to where those things are going. And today's reading in the lectionary, it goes on and there's an optional, like there's a little asterisk that you can read the next bit. And the next bit is something that Jesus quotes a lot. And it's talking about the fact that many people will hear what they have to say and aren't interested at all. A lot of people are interested in the spiritual trips. Not many people are interested in spiritual depth. Some of us need smoke machines and uh, a big band and a light show, and then we can experience God, which is great when you can afford Coldplay tickets. But in terms of the rest of the daily stuff, how do we return to the silence in such a way that words like holy, holy, holy are no longer nice ideas to contain God in a box, but start to shimmer with an experience that brings us out of ourselves. I want to give you thirty seconds with the person you're next to just because maybe you don't know people and it's a good opportunity for those of us who are a little shy to say hello. But here's your little opportunity to ask each other. If you if when I say holiness, what comes to mind? What words come to mind? Is there a definition or is there an impression? I want to give you like this might be your first day in church or you might have grown up in church. But when you hear terms like holy what are the associations or definitions that come to mind? 30 seconds with the person you're next to. Go for it. I'll give you another 30 seconds and then you can say somebody like me said and that way you won't feel on the spot if if it's completely wacky. My wife is trying to cheat. She's like, tell me what I said yesterday. anybody feel confident enough to say somebody near me might have said something along the lines of when you hear holy what comes to mind what's that Joy? ethereal yeah yeah so something that's not quite graspable there's something yeah others yeah clarity fascinating so a a sense of transparency or, or clarity for others presence a sense of presence yeah sacred Beautiful. blameless now if i'm blameless fascinating because blameless actually starts to get into in the first verse of chapter six it names a certain king which is like we go oh we're talking about spiritual matters so don't mention Bolsonaro, don't mention trump don't mention putin that's all political stuff but that's actually not how the bible works see if God is the king of kings, kings have to answer to the king. So, actually, all those things are actually being called into question if there's something that sits above them. And the whole thing with blameless actually starts to get into how holiness is often talked about. Other words for holiness that people think of? Majestic. Yeah, a sense of majesty or power. What's that? which we start getting back to the king and somebody said set apart and this is what's uh, fascinating because this is a story of a king who reigned for 52 years who people liked because he was big on security and he was big on economics and he was sailing his ship into Assyria, one of the biggest empires and it's about to wipe them out and Babylon's coming after that but God's people, both the two tribes in the south in Judah and the ten tribes in the north in Israel they are seeking other gods uh, other ways of organizing things rather than the God who hears the cries of the oppressed and cares for the orphan and the widow i.e. those who are most vulnerable in society but they've just had a king who thought he was top-notch and to cut a story um, short he rocks up in the temple thinking his hot stuff does what the priests were called to do and just assumes that he could do that because he's governing so well so this pride turns into a sense of arrogance, and this arrogance into a sense of superiority, and superiority we might name today in terms of privilege. And there's something about the king of kings and lord of lords where in the presence of that, privilege evaporates. And our privilege gains where we feel we're better than others, that we're superior to others. Actually, we find that we're people of unclean lips. That woe is us. And this king because of this pride, is struck down with leprosy and actually dies alone because leprosy is one of the things that separates you from everybody else because people are scared of what? Catching it. Purity is about getting away from that which you could catch. And a lot of people associate holiness with purity. Holiness is about separating yourself. Separate yourself as God is separate from all things. And theologically, there are certain circles where people go, we are right because of what we believe or what we do so we separate ourselves from all those people who ran to Jesus who run away from us because we embody a kind of holiness that's got nothing to do with the holiness of God. Little holy huddles that pray thank you God that I'm not like fill in the blank. The kind of spirituality that sets up a new form of false self, false pride, I'm better than others. That religiosity, that spirit of religiosity which just has this whiff of I'm better than that I look down on you, that I can judge you. And this king that thought he was hot stuff dies alone, and in that year, we have Isaiah experiencing the holiness of God. And in the holiness of God, in the presence of God, this sense of like a, I mean, we don't really have veils other than like brides, right? Like you have a, a, a wedding veil, but, but this veil that it like covers the sanctuary, this sense of, there is something moving in here that flows from who God is, but is the energy of God, um, uh, but still protects that, that hidden mystery of the nature of God, if we are going to use the language of the Eastern Orthodox Church. But this holiness which brings him to a state where his response to God is that, I'm unclean. And a lot of people like me, preachers behind sacred desks like this one, will say that this is about you fundamentally suck and that God created you to suck. But it's okay, God set up a dependent system where you cannot suck by realizing that God doesn't suck. And then they'll quote Bible verses out of context and say things like, "Um, the Bible says that we're but a worm, leaving out the context that King David said that after he coercively, after perving on a woman on a roof as a person with the most power in the nation arranges without consent there are certain words for that, that are too provocative to not go into it in depth but to take she before himself and sends her husband out to war because he's a soldier to kill him and in reality of David being faced by the prophet Nathan going this is a joke and this is what you do to your people he says I feel like a worm and some people take that which is actually like him owning his own stuff and then go so everybody sucks God has dependencies issues, so you suck, and now you know that God is great. God doesn't need you to think less of yourself for Him to be high and exalted. The holiness of God is not that you are awful. The Psalms also say that we are crowned with majesty, a little lower than the angels. But there is a reality that being in God's presence that we can't play games and we see ourselves clearly not worse than anybody else not better than anybody else there is no place for self-hatred in god's presence but self-knowledge is one of the things that john calvin insisted actually comes with knowledge of god i'm not a big calvin fan but he's a genius self-knowledge of ourself that we can actually own our own shadow go i'm not those who project me to be a saint but nor am i the devil this is me and all my complexity, and God, you either work with this stuff, or I should leave. Isaiah's response to God saying, whom shall I send? Why, why would God? God is God. What is it in God's nature that God wouldn't go, you go, but whom shall I send? I was asking Steve before the service about this question of holiness, and he said, my definition has changed in the last five years in terms of the faith journey that Steve's been on. And he said, I would now say that holiness is love. That's a, that's a phenomenal answer. That's an answer who's somebody who has actually encountered that the mystery of who God is is revealed in Jesus. The reason why John, in his epistle, can say God is light and God is love is because God has shown his love amongst us by sending his son. So we can say that God is love. So we can be honest about all the stuff that doesn't look like love in ourselves. There is something about the experience and the way that God responds to Isaiah in this. That Isaiah is able to own who he is. And he's been a prophet for five chapters previous. But this is the first time where the fingers have been pointed back at himself. People love to go, you should care for the poor. We hate to go, what am I doing for the poor? Dom Helda Kamara talked about when I feed the poor, they call me a saint. When I ask why they're poor, they call me a communist. He also talked about you say you love the poor. Tell me, what are their names? Paul's not an abstract. Isaiah's been saying all this stuff, but there is something in the presence of God where it becomes about judging others and comparison games when you're in the presence of the one who is holy, holy, holy. The word means, separate is one way of putting it, but it actually means like strange or other, not elsewhere. God is not elsewhere, and God is not everything, but everything is found in God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with his glory. If we were reading for the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of this passage, the word for glory there is the same word for beauty. The holiness of God is the beauty of God and the beauty of God is revealed everywhere. He's in the sanctuary. He's in the temple. But all of creation is God's temple. It can't be monopolized by the religious institutions and yet religion at its best is that which points us to what we see revealed in Jesus. But you don't need mediators. I don't have any special access to that. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave is moving in your life, right here, right now, and none of us have a monopoly on that. Nothing we have done disqualifies from the move of the Holy Spirit. And the holiness of God is not that God is separate and has nothing to do with you. Have you heard preachers say stuff like that? God is so holy that he could not look upon you. I was like, well, somebody tell the Old Testament because, like, God's always holy and, like, messes up in the garden, but God comes back tenderly and is like, here, I know you're in shame, but let me knit something out of fig leaves for you. Like, every time God comes back, not to punish, but to draw with strings of loving kindness. Think about Jesus. Like, if, I mean, if, if we're legit in terms of Jesus is where God's mystery is fully revealed. That, as John would put it, no one has seen God. Well, hang on, hasn't Isaiah seen God here? But we only peek at what is seen clearly in Jesus. But the fact that the Almighty is revealed as all vulnerable, that all power is revealed as a kind of power that isn't coercive, that it's like, whom shall I send? And God waits for our consent because, as Steve reminded us before the service, God's holiness is God's love. And love waits for you to respond. God made you without involving you. But God won't transform you without involving you. It actually takes in this moment, you're like, well, I was saved in 95. Awesome. Are you being saved today? 2019 because there is more of that glory, of that holiness that wants to break out in our life. And the the gospel hope from the prophets that is realized in Jesus is that the intimate knowledge of the Lord, the word there in Hebrew is yada, It's like uh, how a married couple know each other. That the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. How do the waters cover the seas?
2: What does art say?
1: God wants to infuse everything with God's very presence and saying yes to Jesus is saying in my life right now, let that holiness that is love, let that flood through me. I don't want an idea. I don't want to make an idol. I don't want a nice box where I trap and play religious games. Bring me to the place where I become a person of humility, that people know that I am set apart, that I am different, that I am strange, and my strangeness is the tenderness of mercy, and my strangeness is compassion. And you're like, Jared, that'll preach well, because people want the light, fluffy stuff. but don't want the hard stuff. I'm just giving you Jesus. According to Luke 6, where are we? Verse 31, Jesus takes what is central to the Hebrew people, the call that be holy as the Lord your God is holy, and Jesus doesn't use the word holy. In Luke's gospel, he says what? Be perfect is in Matthew, where are we, Five forty-eight. Um, be perfect, and it's in the context of love. Be perfect in love, complete in love, as in he's just been teaching on loving your enemies. And he says, be complete, perfect in love, as your heavenly father is. God doesn't leave anybody out in God's love. But in Luke, Luke makes it even more explicit. Luke doesn't say perfect in in the context of talking about love. Luke says be what? Compassionate. Be compassionate as your Heavenly Father is compassionate. Or be merciful as the Most High is merciful. Holiness is not something that separates us to be better than others. Holiness is that which makes our heart break." what we see in others that we know in ourselves, that any pattern of addiction in somebody else's life, that that could be me, that I, I am this close to that. If it was not for the grace of God, that would be me. And by the grace of God, keep me from those patterns that actually keep me from life. That is holiness. And you've met holy people when you've met humble people who you know aren't any better than you. But live their lives with the kind of love that rose Jesus from the grave. That's it. And if that's not enough for you, I'm sorry, that's all the gospel offers. But at sanctuary, we'll preach Christ and Him crucified. Jesus is the very wisdom of God. And if wisdom, if holiness as compassion isn't as compelling enough for you, well, there are other options in other places. Get Jesus, get rich. Get Jesus, get the Australian dream. Get Jesus, get everything you desire, that you've been taught to desire on Instagram, but God will bless it. The thing is, those things are empty. And some of us are unlucky to never get those things, and some of us are unlucky to get those things, and we find that that isn't the thing. What we actually seek is those experiences where holy isn't idea. It's that which we know And makes us see everything differently. I could go for an hour, but I'm aware of the time and we'll come around the table. But I want to end with this so you don't miss this. These beings of fire in this vision, they take a coal from the altar where the sacrifices were made. Now, this is Jewish people. They're not sacrificing to God. That's paganism. God isn't angry, needing sacrifices. This is Judaism, where a sacrifice is made on behalf of God to the people. See, God knows that we desire for somebody to get it. We want to victimize someone, blame someone, scapegoat someone, and say, I feel guilt, and I don't know what to do with it, but if, if it's their fault, if it's those people because okay, if it's those people because they're Muslims, if it's those people because it's that house on the street, if it's that black sheep in the family, if it's those people, then we've got a sacrifice. Then we, we're the ones that desire blood. And this being of fire takes a coal that God offers and touches that coal on the lips, and he is seared with a holiness that is mercy, so he can see clearly. And what he's told is that the guilt is dealt with. The shame is dealt with. That which would make you feel that you're either better or worse than others, that you're disqualified for this and you can't respond to God's call, God's vocation on your life, it is taken away. We're about to come round the table where the burning coal of this bread, which somehow God promises to be present, in, touches our lips and says, the only thing that qualifies you for this table is just knowing that, just like everybody else, we're not qualified there is no goodness that we can earn to get here there is only being honest with like i'm a mess just like everybody else not any worse than anybody else and i can look honestly at myself and know in light of the holiness which is god's mercy that i can change jesus is the offering to us not to god god doesn't need somebody to die so he can forgive god's forgiving all the way through the bible it's who god is it's what holiness is. Jesus reveals who God to be. Jesus is God offered offering God to us so that we know that when we put others in their position where we need somebody else to pay, that's what we've been set free from. So if you are here today and you think that somebody else shouldn't come to this table who is in this room, don't come to the table. It's the only thing that disqualifies you is thinking that you are better than somebody else. But if you know that this is a place where hungry beggars can find bread? Welcome to the gospel. If you long for a world to be transformed where we can see our original beauty that is deeper than the brokenness that runs through every human heart, run to this table. If you desire for holiness, not to just be a theory or some theology, but something that sets your life on fire, that you can see yourself and others the same. That God sees us and see Christ in others and hear that call and respond. Come into this table as saying to God, Here I am, Lord. Send me. Because there's no way to receive this without participating in it. You can't say, I want God's grace, but I'm not going to share God's grace. I want God's healing justice, but I'm not going to show God's healing justice. Come into this table as going, I need it, the world needs it. Let the world experience it through me. Even me. Who's leading us around the table? No. No, shut up. Awesome.
2: what what was said about the particular phrase that Jared said about yada, that Hebrew word, which in English means to know, but within Hebrew thought is that deeper, much more intimate knowing. And communion is our meal. It's a way that we can viscerally take the grape juice and take the bit of bread in a deep, visceral way. Remind ourselves that God is as close as the grape, grape juice that goes into our mouth and the bread that goes into our body. Now, as Jared also said, you didn't have to have it all together to to be part of be part of this revolutionary movement known as the Kingdom of God, being a follower of Jesus. When the Israelites went through the Red Sea, I guarantee you there were probably two groups of people. You might have had some people who went Maybe when they went through the Red Sea looked at the high walls of water and went oh how great is God oh, God's so good and just constantly walked through but I guarantee you there probably would have been more people who seen the high walls of water were freaking out and going oh my gosh this is so scary and they could have been filled with doubt they could have been filled with questioning but you know what the amazing thing is as they got through anyway as well because faith isn't about having it cognitively all together faith isn't about having yourself emotionally mustered up faith it's just about trusting it's a simple trust to walk through and as such if you're somebody here today and you don't feel like you're deserving or you don't feel like you should come or you don't think you have got it all together good news is none of us has it all together And communion is a sign for us because it's the sign of the cross, of Jesus dying on the cross, blood poured out, body broken. That's actually that God does God's salvation. And that we just get to be a people filled with doubt, filled with not sureness, filled with not really knowing what it's all about, but we get to be a people who by God's grace alone participate in what God has already accomplished and communion can be that meal for us So, church, this is the table not of the church but of the Lord it is made ready for those who love God and for those who want to love God more so come you who have much faith and you who have little, you have been here often and you who have come for the first time you have tried to follow Jesus. You have failed in following Jesus. And you have just decided to follow Jesus for the first time come. Let nothing keep you from love's feast. Let nothing enter the table of its power. Leave judgment behind and receive mercy and recognize God's family. Leave, in, sorry, leave indifference behind and recognize God's family. Leave now if necessary and go and be a forgiver. Then run back because it is the Lord who invites you. It is God's will that those who desire Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit should encounter him here. So come.
0: Yes, Lord, we thank you that you are holy, that you have made a way, that when we are not enough, you are enough. We thank you that whatever we need, whatever we face leaving this place, whatever's going on in the world, Lord, that you have already made a way like you make rivers in dry wasteland like you have made a way when it looked like there was no way like you have made a way for us to be reconciled to you like you make a way for us every day. We're going to finish reading our benediction this morning. You can say it along with us. Church, we come as we are, but we are sent out not the same. Sanctuary. He speaks over us a new name to bless and rebuild this city, so we go broadcast good news for the poor. Let the blind see, set free the oppressed, live jubilee. Let it be in his liberating grace that pardons and empowers sinners like us to participate in God's kingdom of mercy. And all God's people said, Amen.